CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're so glad you've joined us, as we always are. Looking forward to spending about an hour with you as we take this time aside each and every weekday afternoon at this time to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, to look at current events, and also what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've been reading your Bible, come up with a question. Someone's asked you a question. Well, that's why we like to make ourselves available to tell you what the Bible says about that topic, not a piece of a verse, because, again, this is what's happening so often in so many denominations, unfortunately, and in cults. They take a verse, a piece of a verse, build a theology upon it, disregarding the other verses that address <clears throat> the same topic. And so we just want to encourage you to give us a call, 8888-ASK. See, since toll-free, you can be part of the program today. Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker comes on right before To Every Man, or actually right after To Every Man and Answer, Jeff Wickwire. And we have with Turning Point Ministries, uh, Turning Point Church, there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Hi and welcome, Jeff. Hello, Mike. Uh, welcome from Fort Worth, where we are iced in. Uh, global warming yeah. is doing a real on us here, Mike. We're we're at 28 degrees and the streets are all frozen solid. So, unfortunately, I couldn't be in my studio today to do the show, but I'm coming by way of phone. And um, there's no movement out there. It's like a ghost town because it's so icy, and they're calling for more snow tonight. So here you go. But it's great to be with you. Looking forward to a great show. A lot of great Bible questions and which we love to answer because the entrance of God's word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. And I'm one of those simple ones. I need the enlightenment of the word of God. So looking forward to it. Amen. And being about our father's business in these days, so important. Again, the number 8888, ask CSN's the number to call. We've got some lines open, so you're sure to get on if you call right now. And with that, we will go ahead and go to Steve in Bozeman, Montana. Hi, and welcome. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, see, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and uh, by God's <laughs> grace, I got out of that uh, wicked religion. But what I'm seeing today is very alarming to me. It seems like there's a, just a rampant uh, lack of discernment among Christians. And I'll, I'll give you three examples, and then you can comment. But the first one is the fact that I read about significant numbers of evangelicals becoming Catholic today. And uh, and then the other one is, like, even in the past, there's some, I mean, big-name Christians that signed on to the uh, evangelical and Catholics together accord in the late 90s. I mean, people like Bill Bright and J.I. Packer and Chuck Colson, and basically saying that Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the, the the last one is what I'm seeing with uh, Christians just swallowing the chosen hook, line, and sinker, and not being able to discern that it distorts Scripture. So my question is: Is this just uh, 
a sign of the great delusion that the Bible talks about? I believe there will be a great falling away. I believe it comes in many different shapes and forms. And, um, you know, um, even the Catholic Church 20 years ago, has it wasn't what it's morphed into be today. And this, I think, is a, a, of a great concern. We find, uh, again, uh, the Bible taking the back seat in almost every faith. And this is really a tragedy because if we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, why isn't more pastors preaching the Word of God? Now, again, why do we have such a lack of discernment going on? Now, people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. Well, that's really interesting because that's not even a gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the gift of discerning of spirits, but not the gift of discernment. Discernment comes by reading God's Word and a workman not to be ashamed. This is why Paul says to earnestly contend for the faith. Unfortunately, today, people, because they don't know their Bible, will buy into things that are so far from really what the Bible says and believe it to be the Bible. This is the great tragedy. So I fault, first of all, individuals for not reading their Bible on their own. Again, this is not a responsibility of the church. It's a responsibility of every believer to know what their Lord says. Read the Bible. Thy word I have hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee, the Bible says. So how important is it that we do that? Now, start in a chapter as an example or a book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just start reading as an example, the book of Luke, and just read and let the Holy Spirit speak to you every day. You're going to be equipped with what the Word of God says. Then when somebody tries to sell you a false bill of goods about who Jesus is or his in his uh, uh, bumbling around and things like this that oftentimes we'll see, you'll know that that's a lie. The other part of it is that we also know more about who we are, that we are the ones that need Christ. We are the ones that rely on him for everything. And so when we see these things go on, I too am really uh, shocked by the lack of discernment that so many Christians have But then also we have to fault the church as well. We have pastors that are life coaches giving motivational speaking engagements on Sunday morning, how to climb to the top after slipping Jesus in your pocket, and completely negating the Bible. One of the Bible seminaries that I heard says, open every sermon with a a scripture and then move quickly away from it as you can. Well, see, this is where the problem is because the Word of God convicts. And if you're convicted, you might not come to church. And if you don't come back to church, uh uh-oh, that's going to affect the nickels and noses and the big count at the end of the service. And so these are why we have to be more concerned about what God's Word says than hurting people's feelings. Now, we want to be loving. We want to be kind. But when we are loving and we are kind, it does require us to tell people, hey, you're on the wrong road. Remember, Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple by overturning their tables and whipping them with a coat of night. He made a, he made a, a whip and beat them to get them out of the temple. Well, that wasn't very loving. I thought Christians were supposed to be loving. Again, lack of discernment. I believe that if people, Christians, see people in a cult. I think if Christians see people that are lost and and dying, 
that should cause a reaction in your soul to say, hey, God, how do I help them? What do I do? Do I shake them? What do I got to do to wake them up? See, I really believe that's what makes a difference. But without reading God's Word, whether in church or individually, I believe the deception will continue. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I, I think we're just in a tremendous crisis uh, for discernment crisis in the church. If you were to ask me, what is the church's greatest need? A lot of people would think that I should say love. But these days, no. I would say the church's number one need is discernment because you see not just people, evangelicals and whatnot, uh, going for Catholicism with all the false doctrine that permeates Catholicism, but all kinds of New Age gobbledygook is entering into churches all over the West, um, different parts of the world. We're, uh, we're opening our mouths wide to receive these terribly false doctrines um, that are New Age. You could go into any New Age aisle in a bookstore and grab a New Age book and find many of the things that churches are swallowing these days and with no discernment at all. You know, the Bible says very, very clearly to believers, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Pneumati, spirit. So we're talking about, is it a good spirit or is it a bad spirit? Is it an, is it angelic or of God or is it demonic and of Satan? Believe not every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But I got to tell you, it looks to me like false prophets are having a heyday with the church these days. I see people on YouTube and various social media platforms, um, so-called prophets, prophesying things that within the first 10 seconds, you should know there's no way this is of God. No way. And yet you'll see 15,000, 20,000 followers. And if you decide to comment in any way, like even to quote of 1 John 4, 1 that I just quoted, in the comment section, you are assailed by professing Christians that are calling you a hater, calling you this, that, and the other, simply because you offered a Bible verse of balance uh, to the false prophecy. So we are to test, and that that's from a word that means to examine, to distinguish by testing, to test to reveal what is good. You know, we've all seen the uh, old Western movies where uh, somebody is giving some somebody else a gold coin for a sale purchase, and they take that gold coin and they bite down on it to see if it puts any kind of indenture into the coin which it would do if it were genuine gold. They test it before they take it. That's the idea. When you hear so much of this stuff infiltrating the church these days, preaching another Jesus altogether, thing, uh, interpretations of Scripture that are just uh, really out there, really zany, space cadet kind of stuff, um, things that are read into it that aren't there at all, um, so much emphasis on getting rich, on getting money, all kinds of false misrepresentations of Christian living. And, uh, you know, you see, there's nobody testing it. There's nobody bringing these people into accountability. There's nobody protecting their own soul 
from being poisoned by false teaching, which we also want to do, Mike. We also want to, if nothing else, do I care about the health of my own soul? You know, I wouldn't put rotten food in my mouth. I wouldn't drink, uh, you know, old milk that was curdled. I would not uh, intentionally take poison into my system. We would never do it. And yet we'll sit and listen to stuff without testing it, putting our own soul's health and maybe even eternal uh, uh, eternal state in jeopardy by what we open ourselves up to. So in answer to the uh, caller's question, I'm right there with you. I'd, I'd bewail the lack of discernment in the church all the time, and uh, it's something we really need to pray for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to get a grip on before it gets even worse. Mike? Yeah, Second Timothy 3, 1 through 7 speaks about the last days, perilous times will come. There'll be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, fierce, despisers of things that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from search, from such turn away. How important it is. Yeah, Mike, if I could, just on right along with that, 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit uh, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Well, why do they depart? It says they give heed to deceiving spirits. So a deceiving spirit, they didn't test it. They didn't test the spirits. And so they fall prey to a deceiving spirit, which is literally teaching the doctrines of demons. And this is church folks it's talking about. So, wow, we need discernment. We need to be using the Word of God, as you said, Mike, to test what we hear and do some distinguishing between what is right and wrong, good and bad, light and dark. Amen. So how important it is being about our Father's business. Steve, I hope that answers it for you. Yeah. Well, it really grieves my heart because I've tried to warn family members and even leaders in my own church about the lies of the series of The Chosen. And, I mean, they attack me for it. They oh, defend yeah. The oh, Chosen yeah. and they attack me. You know, oh, it's yeah. Really... Uh, oh, yeah. And, and just for those that are listening, saying, oh, there you are getting on your soapbox again. No, let, let's look at this. Paul warns if anybody comes preaching another Jesus than the one that I've delivered to you, whoa, may they be a curse. Now listen, when you have Jesus rehearsing for the Sermon on the Mount, Mary says to Jesus, oh, you're a good son. And he says, mom, save your compliments till tomorrow in case I mess up in front of the crowd. Whoa, oh, talk boy. about a different Jesus. That That's, that's a bubbling doofus Jesus. In, and, and I mean, no no offense to the actors that portray him, but I'm saying that script is awful. Meanwhile, you have four women trying to dress Jesus for the grandioso occasion while the disciples are building the stage. Friends, this is pure hypocrisy. I mean, I mean, this isn't even resemble. Then Jesus, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Oh, it's you again. You, you see, he was arrested before the Garden of Gethsemane in the Chosen. That's not true. And see, there's another Jesus being portrayed here, one that's unsure of himself, one that has to ask the disciples for advice. We find, um, uh, uh, you know, a Jesus that, that he said, I am a revolutionary. Jesus never said that. He came to set men's hearts free. And when you really begin to examine this, and because people don't know their Bible, they'll get angry with you because they believe the Jesus that's in the chosen rather than the real Jesus that's in the Bible, the Holy One, the Son of God. And they make and they break this down to Jesus being a mere man. Yes, he was a man, but he wasn't a man in that he sinned. And by showing that he didn't have faith concerning the Sermon on the Mount would have been sin. Jesus said, don't even worry about what you're, what you're going to say when you're brought before magistrates and kings. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you're going to say. Well, unless, of course, you mess up and you have to have your mother pay you compliments. <laughs> next day. That's a whole—see, the thing is, but people understand this. A tweak here, a tweak there, and all of a sudden, the, the, the person of Jesus that we know in the Bible now is kind of not so sure of himself, bumbles around a lot. Gosh, we all are just hoping by the end of the chosen that Jesus figures it out and gets it right, everyone. And poor Matthew yeah. with Arsperger's or whatever disease he has. And then, of course, James, who's a cripple. No, that's all a big lie. And Matthew didn't have any diseases. He was a tax collector for the Roman. You got to remember, the Romans put their very best in front. They were representing the Roman government. So they didn't have somebody that had a speech impediment or some other issue uh, uh, or some disease. We have to understand that they were representing the Roman government. And that's who, that's who Matthew worked for. He was a tax it's collector. It's so important. It's so important that we, emphasize here that Jesus was all God and all man, all man and all God. He never for a microsecond gave up his deity to come to earth. He was both all God, all man, all man, all God at all times. So the the thing with the chosen, uh, you know, the million dollar word is anthropomorphism. They're, they are anthropomorphizing Christ, meaning they are taking the God man and making him all man, only man, and they're doing away with his deity, uh, and he never did. That's the danger. A, a really, uh, you know, we'll say it, a false Christ, uh, an unbiblical Christ at least, is being presented. And, uh, if you know, you and I have talked about it, Mike, that if, um, you know, so many of the people watching it don't know the Bible at all. So they think, what they're seeing of Jesus is true, and it's not true at all. He uh, he was all God, all man at all times, and uh, it's so important to keep that on the front burner of our theology. Yeah, and so again, the Bible warns about another Jesus, and whether it comes by two finely dressed young men at your front door on bicycles— or whether it comes through your TV set presenting a different Jesus that bumbles around a lot. Hey, listen, friends, be careful. Just be careful. Hope that helps, Steve. I, 
Yeah, it's clear in the Bible that the only one Jesus depended on was his father. Absolutely. And and you so know, I, I just don't know where they get off. And then they cloak this, well, he's a, you know, the director's a real evangelical, this, that. Well, then why don't you stick to the script? And then again, we've already talked about where Jesus said, I am the law. In the third series, episode eight, Jesus never said that he was the law. He was the fulfillment mm-hmm. of the law. Now, in the book of Nephi, out of the book of Mormon, Jesus said, I am the law. Well, there's a real song and dance on how that got in there and everything. I don't care how it got in there. It is in there. That's the problem. And so it doesn't matter how it got in there. It should not be in there. That is another Jesus. Jesus is not the law. Now, people say, oh, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it just shows lack of biblical understanding. If Jesus was the law, we're still under the law of Moses. And that's a real problem. But Jesus is not the law. He came to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And then Jesus said in John 12, you then follow my, I kept my father's commandments. Now you keep mine and mine is to love one another. And by the way, the word love doesn't mean anything goes, believe what you want. Kids can light the, you know, the living room on fire, throw the, you know, the furniture out in the yard. Oh, I love you kids. Just do whatever you want. That's not love. That's completely opposite of love. If you love somebody, you'll say, hey, you're on the wrong road. Do you think Paul's letters that he wrote to, like, as an example, the Corinthian church, the first one, was received well? No. They didn't like what he had to say. It was a corrective letter, and thus it is today. And so understanding that when we say we love somebody requires us to say and have an Enough concern about that person's eternal destiny to say, hey, buddy, what you're believing is not the Bible. It's some other goofy thing that people have made up, artistic liberty, or just rewriting the Bible to suit your own belief. Whatever it is, just be careful. Steve, stay online. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, okay? Okay, thank you. God bless you. Keep praying for pastors and people that they'll know God's Word. Let's go to Rocky, Amarillo, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hey, guys. Hey, man, I appreciate your ministry. Um, it's interesting. You've, you've pretty much answered, you know, a lot of what I was, what's on my mind, on my heart right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be even more specific, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been reading the last number of months, the you know, the prophets, all the, the, the scripture on kings and prophets. And, you know, when prophets spoke, it seemed like they were very direct, very specific. Um, and and then when you look at, uh, and here's more of the, the focus of my question, um, uh, the new church is like this new apostolic reformation church. And they have prophets, and, and, and I'm in the middle of studying it, but I really don't have so much a question as I'm just kind of curious what your insight might be on this, but the you know this new apostolic reformation church they they seem to uh drive on the fact that uh apostles and prophets should have the governing power in the church and so then what you see is you see these these people who are claiming to be the new new prophets and maybe i think even new revelation they're they're seeking to be a prophet they throw really vague 
prophecies mm-hmm. out there so that they can claim to be a prophet. And, and I think it's all in that effort to achieve power in the in the church. And it's just kind of a weird circle, but um, you know, they, the one of the signs I've read about the church is that you know they. they get into the prayer, and I'm seeing this just a little bit in my own circles, Christian circles where, where I live, uh, this de- declaration-type prayer rather than mm-hmm. uh, petitionary petitionary prayer. And and I've seen that do some damage when, when they say, I, I declare, I demand this spirit or whatever leave or this, this spirit of healing touch. And then when when it doesn't happen, then you know people are left confused, you know, rather than the petitionary prayer. So, I don't know. That's I, I'm just curious, you guys' insight into that. I'm, I'm studying this, trying to learn more about it. Your thoughts? Well, the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, some claim that that's not really there, but it, it's very much there. It is a loosely knit um, company of people, but it is worldwide. And it has gained a whole lot of momentum. The father of it is C. Peter Wagner, who was a, um, a theological professor at, uh, I'm trying to remember the seminary, can't remember right offhand, but anyway, uh, he claimed that the apostle, the office of apostle, had been lost to the church and in these last days is now being restored. And so you got to ask, well, what does he mean by apostle? Well, he means capital A, Apostle. That is, that uh, every church should have over it uh, an apostolic overseer that speaks into it, gives direction to it, and um, is pretty much uh, plays the part that Paul played with, say, the Galatians, the Corinthians, the Philippians, whatnot, the various New Testament churches he founded. He had apostolic authority over them, but that was then. That was uh, when God was laying the foundation of the church by the apostles and prophets. They also claim that there are capital P prophets, and, uh, you know, on the same level as a Bible prophet. Only problem is exactly what you said, sir, that you listen to their prophecies. I heard one today, and this individual, I won't say his name, but he's got a huge following online and he said this he said folks i have a word and he said war is coming war is coming and then he said something is about to happen Okay, real quick, we're coming up. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with healthcare costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 29 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. 
Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Does the Bible seem too big, complicated, and overwhelming? There's a free Bible resource that's been around for more than 25 years and is used and trusted by millions worldwide. The Enduring Word Bible Commentary by David Guzik is a clear and simple way for everyday Christians and even seasoned Bible teachers to study God's Word. David's commentary not only breaks down the entire Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it also provides helpful quotes from well-known Bible expositors throughout history. The commentary has also been translated into many languages, including Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, and more. Find the Enduring Word Bible Commentary as well as a free downloadable e-book called The King's Kingdom, a deeper look at the Sermon on the Mount by David Guzik at EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. That's EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN. to every man and answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, in the process, we were speaking concerning this issue of uh, this Reformation uh, Church. Your thoughts? Yeah, the New Apostolic, it's called NAR, N-A-R, New Apostolic Reformation. It is, as the word says, it's the belief that uh, the office of apostles and prophets are being restored, were lost for centuries, and now are being restored in these last days, and there's a brand new mandate from heaven to uh, step back into that office, and that those offices should oversee local churches with apostolic input, guidance, and direction, not to mention the apostle generally gets paid by the church as well. Um, My issue, and our caller mentioned the, the prophecies uh, let me say right up front, I don't believe that there are capital A apostles anymore. The word itself simply means one that is sent. That's all. So you have to go back and distinguish between the 12 apostles um, that were chosen by Jesus after a night of prayer. Jesus picked them out, and, of course, Judas was lost, and um, Matthias was put in in his place, and then later as one born out of due time came the Apostle Paul, who was genuinely for sure an apostle, capital A. But since God used them to lay the foundation of the local church, it's laid. I mean, if you want to know how the local church is to function, read Ephesians, read Philippians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. The, the, the foundation is laid. It was laid 20 centuries ago. So we don't need capital A apostles with some new revelation on what to do with the local church, how to guide the local church, or giving us new foundation. It's already there. So I believe there are sent ones. Yeah, I mean, there's people that are sent. So I guess you could say with a little a that they are apostolic and that they are sent out by a local church to do a certain mission. But they do not carry the authority, the weight, uh, the anointing from God the, the, to to lay the foundation of the church or to write holy scripture 
that is inerrant. Then when or it comes re-write. to prophecy, our caller, yeah, or rewrite, which happens all the time, um, more and more. But now the prophecies that our caller talked about, he's right. Um, you'll hear some of these prophecies, like this man I was just mentioning on YouTube today. He had like 200,000 uh, views already, and it wasn't even 24 hours old. But he said, war is coming, war is coming. Then he said, something is about to happen. I don't know what, but something is about to happen, and you better get ready because war is coming. Well, I heard that, and I went, you know, I just don't believe that that's genuine prophecy. And let me tell you why. Because it's not specific. God Almighty, in his word, never said something is coming. No, because God knows what the thing is going to be. So God is always specific. He's detailed. When he predicts something, he's detailed. He does not speak in nebulous generalities. And so so when you hear some of these people, and and I do believe that prophecy can be real. I do. So I don't want to be misunderstood here. But so much of what's out there now, it's so general that, it's like you're just listening to a word salad. It, it's prophetic gobbledygook. It's, it doesn't, you can listen to a three-minute so-called prophecy, and when it's done, anybody could have said it at any given time with a real good chance of it coming to pass because it's so general. So again, Mike, we're coming back to this whole issue of discernment and how badly the church needs to get into the Scriptures and really get to know that Bible better than you know any book on earth, because that's the way you're able to hear some of these things and say, wait a minute, that doesn't ring true, because when I read Bible prophecy, it's specific, it's detailed, God doesn't say something or anything or maybe or perhaps so, none of this stuff. He's very clear, and you can tell the difference between the two different things. Yeah, it's, it, it gets into the whole thing of like Nostradamus, you know, when the three clouds are on the horizon and the moon rises <laughs> between them and people yeah. are going, oh, this is, this is this and this is this. You know, yeah. I mean, it's so general. There's something coming. Yeah. Well, duh, there's wars and rumors yeah. of wars. That's one of the signs who, who, who of the end. Say, so that isn't yeah, any kind of a war is coming. <laughs> yeah, that it's just, it's just, you know, uh, um, misguided really? sensationalism. <laughs> And uh, so we have to be very careful of that. And again, I believe the real apostles, with the capital A, uh, those were the 12 that we find, of course, with Matthias. But really, I think who replaced Judas was was, uh, the Apostle Paul. But we find that doctrine laid down for us. Now, from now on, the apostles are just sent out to represent what the real apostles said. But for them to be exactly. changing Scripture, rewriting Scripture, modifying Scripture, whatever it might be, faults run quickly. Hope that helps, and God bless you. I think we lost your call, but um, call back if you'd like the books and the DVDs. We'll get those out to you. Let's go to Jeff, El Paso, Texas. Hi and welcome. Thank you. Um, I'll try to make this quick because I guess i got a bad connection, but in the book of Mark, where the apostles are rolling the boat across the water and they see Jesus, and they get scared and they say it's a ghost, and they're actually frightened. I don't 
like your perspective on that, because I know there's no such thing as ghosts. They're just demons in disguise. But, um, you know, what, what, did they believe in ghosts? Or I'd like to hear your, your perspective on that, please. No, I think they were trying to rationalize what they were seeing because human beings don't walk on water. And so it has to be something floaty, light, you know, something like this. And I believe they were simply just uh, trying to rationalize in their minds what it was, uh, thinking they seen a ghost. I mean, what else walks on water? Uh, so we, we know by the whole nature of the story there in Mark that it is that it is uh, a supernatural occurrence, and I believe they were just trying to some way rationalize it. I don't believe they were going around seeing ghosts all the time or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they they saw Jesus walking on the water. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, the word actually that they use in the Greek is phantasma, and we get phantasm from that. So... Let's remember, they were raised in a time when, of course, uh, there were various superstitions that were uh, the kind of rule of the day, like we have our own superstitions these days. You know, I don't know about you, but I can remember as a Boy Scout and a Cub Scout sitting around campfires and telling ghost stories in the woods and um, being terrified that, you know, a phantasma, a, a phantasm of ghosts, uh, or some creature was going to come walking out from amongst the trees and get me. So we have these superstitions. And I think, you know, they see this this figure. It was night. It was late at night. As a matter of fact, it was the last watch of the night. So they just saw this shadowy-like figure coming at, at them. And they probably just, you know, in a moment of genuine fear, uh, said, oh no, and their, their, their superstitions came to the fore, and they said, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, because Christ had never done this in front of them before. So I totally understand them thinking that it was some supernatural creature, and of course the Lord said, it's okay, don't be afraid, it is I. And then uh, once again they thought, wow, who in the world are we dealing with here? And of course the million-dollar answer is, this is not a normal man. Jesus defied the natural uh, laws of gravity and walked on that water. So I think that that's why they use the word phantasma. Uh, that's what they thought at first. But then Christ assuaged their fears and all was well. And once again, their faith was built. Hope that helps. Oh, it does. Yeah, that makes it a lot more clear for me. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. Stay online, Jeff. Send you out some books, DVDs. Let's go to Todd Bend, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. How may we help? Um, well, I, I have found uh, so far, counting Jesus... Uh, 16 apostles in the Bible. I just found another one, uh, which made it 16. In Acts 14.14, Barnabas is called an apostle. Um, Yeah, he's a a sent one. Sure. 
No, we, we understand. And, and, and that's what we, we were talking about earlier, Todd. There's only the original 12. And then there are those who are sent. The word apostle means to be sent. Now, we have very clearly Jesus outlines the 12 apostles. There's no, there's no wiggle room on that. And Jesus wasn't an apostle. He was God. We find that in Matthew chapter 1. He shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. But he had, he picks his 12 apostles. Now, we know Judas Iscariot um, betrayed him. We know that the disciples cast lots for Matthias to supposedly replace him. But then we find Paul calling himself an apostle as well. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, you, what you have, Barnabas being called an apostle, it's a little a. Um, he's, he's not capital A apostle. He was not used to write the Holy Bible. Um, you know, Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of it. Uh, and not every apostle Jesus chose ended up writing Scripture. However, um, the Bible says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the main function of the apostles was to lay the foundation of the church. And let's remember in the book of Revelation, uh, we see that uh, the city of Jerusalem is going to uh, the 12 apostles are named. They're named as um, uh, found, being part of the foundation of the New Jerusalem. Not a bunch of them, not 16 of them, but 12, the original 12. And Jesus also said that the original 12 were going to end up judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So again, there you have 12, not 16. So as you begin moving through the book of Acts, you begin to see the word apostle being used uh, from time to time with somebody that was not a part of the original 12. And there you have to default to the meaning of the word itself. And it just means sent one. That's all. So Paul, capital A, apostle with huge import, huge importance for the local church, capital A apostle importance for the local church. And then you had the little A apostles like Barnabas who traveled with the capital A apostles from time to time, but they were simply not added amongst that number that the Bible confirms and affirms over and over again as being 12, stops at 12. Mike? Amen. So I hope that answers it for you, Todd. Luke is not an apostle, correct? No, he wasn't. He was yeah, not yeah, an apostle some of the scripture well he was an eyewitness that's that's why he did that um and he was just he says i'm writing to you dear theophilus to keep you in perfect account of these matters in other words he was reporting what he knew what he saw and by the people that he talked to that's why we have that but luke is not in a not listed as a disciple you are right or apostle. Or apostle. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, yeah. apostle. Yeah. Yes. yeah. We're, we're all disciples. writer. So, all right, Todd. Well, I hope that answers it for you. Stay in line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. But remember, when you find it, little a in the Bible, that just simply means one who is sent. And that's what the word apostle today means, one who is sent. But in Jesus' time, he was establishing those 12 that would someday judge the nation of Israel. 
So hope that helps. Let's go to Nathan, Willingston, North Dakota. Hi, welcome. Hi, Pastors. Um, got a question. Um, came across a uh, some guy that does Bible studies on YouTube um, from BibleFacts.org. His name's Ken Johnson, and he does a lot of um, studies on the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, early Christian writings. Um, and I just was wondering, are you guys familiar with him, and do you have any opinion on it? Hey, your thoughts. I, I don't. Uh, can you give the name again? I I kind of lost. Ken Johnson. Ken Johnson and uh, um, BibleFacts.org. I I don't. I'm not familiar with the name. I I have looked some things up before on Bible Facts. Um, I'm a little hesitant to say definitively, but memory serves me. If it's serving me correctly, Bible Facts was pretty solid. Uh, I'm not familiar with the name Ken Johnson though. I hope that helps more. I, I can't comment either on it. Uh, looking at their website, it appears to be good, but without really doing the research, I I, uh, I can't say uh, either way. Uh, I know he's done extensive work uh, and research with the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, other things like that. Nathan, I hope that helps. Yeah, I found it very edifying, but uh, still just a lot to wade through. So looking for see if you guys have looked into it. So, um, all right, thanks. All right. We'll stay on the line, Nathan. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. This caller that couldn't stay with us ask about yesterday's program concerning taking a stride from the master's side. Uh, um, uh, as, as we had talked about, uh, leaving your salvation. Read the book of J, uh, Jude. The book of Jude will probably give you one of the best expose of people who left their faith. Also, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where some of these churches, the people had left their faith, and Jesus is compelling them to come back again. Some of them were so bad, as an example, in Revelation 3, 5, he says, if you, he says, if you do, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. Very important to look at. So again, the book of Jude, Revelations 2 and 3, and the last six verses of Matthew chapter 24 give a pretty good outline of what we were talking about yesterday. Sorry you couldn't stay with us, but I wanted to get that shout out to you. Let's go to Sora, I believe it is, in Montrose, Colorado. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How can we help? Um, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Well, it does kind of mention them a little bit. Some kind of a giant creature that we find in the book of Job, the oldest, probably one of the oldest books in the Bible, not speaking of creation and all, but actually one of the oldest books. It talked about the tail of this great behemoth that moved like a giant tree, a cedar of Lebanon. Well, there's not really anything like that today. And it's very possible that maybe Adam and, or excuse me, uh, Noah and those that he took on the ark, perhaps brought baby ones, could not exist after the climate had changed so much as the vapor canopy that was around, kind of like a fog, was around the whole earth, sheltering the earth from the ultraviolet rays. Everything was very tropical. But after that, they couldn't live in this new environment, and they died off. Now, they still believe some animals around are from that age. Uh, such as alligators, are one of those creatures that they believe very much possibly, and again, being aquatic, living in the water, 
would have provided them a little more uh, shelter, you might say, in a new world, in a new environment. But uh, those things are pretty ferocious. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that the Bible clearly describes at least two, and uh, that would be the behemoth and the leviathan. And the behemoth, the Hebrew word that it's translated from, uh, can mean sea monster, it can mean serpent, it can mean dragon. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got um, something that was very, very formidable. Oh, that's the leviathan, rather. Uh, and the leviathan was a seafaring uh, creature. That when you read the description of it, you know, fire coming out of its mouth, of course, that's metaphorical. It's not talking about like a, a real uh, mythical dragon, but it's talking about this giant sea creature that uh, the Bible says could not be harpooned, could not be tamed, could not be captured by man. It was so ferocious, so strong, so overwhelmingly um, um, just mighty that a man could not bring him down. And then when you read the description of the behemoth in Job, and also in the Psalms, uh, it describes this great sweeping tail, this gigantic thing that sounds very much like a brontosaurus. And um, as a matter of fact, if you read it you and didn't know you were reading the Bible, you'd really think you were reading the description of a brontosaurus, which I believe if memory serves, reached about 90 feet long from head to the tip of his tail. And uh, it's like the Bible is describing such a creature. So while it doesn't exhaustively describe uh, dinosaur-like creatures, it does mention, too, one land-going and one seafaring that very much sound dinosaur-like. So I do believe that they that man saw them. You know, Job describes him, J, uh, David described him. So uh, apparently they were around uh, when man was around. And of course, that opens up a whole new um, can of worms, but I, I do believe that that is real and that dinosaurs are certainly mentioned in Scripture at least at least a little bit. Mike? Well, yeah, and there in Texas, there is the place where there are dinosaur footprints and human footprints made at the same time. You probably know where that's at. It's not far from you. Yeah, very same time, and and um, there you have it. And so, what's that called? What, what's it? I, you know, it. it I was going to say it, and it eludes me. If you hadn't asked me, I could have told you. But ah. um, it's a. Uh, it's yeah. It is near me, and it's a. Uh, it's a fascinating place, and. Um, but, you know, Job describes the behemoth, I mean, blow by blow describes him, you know, eyewitness. So uh, no no question they were on land, on the earth at the same time as men, and men saw them. And uh, so hope that helps. Yes, hope that helps. How old are you? Eleven. Wow. Well, that's a pretty good question for an 11-year-old. I'm glad you're asking those you kind like of questions. You like dinosaurs, don't you? I loved dinosaurs yes. when I was 11. Yeah. What's your favorite dinosaur? T-Rex. Oh, there you go. T-Rex. I totally T -Rex. agree. That's good. <laughs> well, Sola, you stay on the line, and I'll send you out some books and some DVDs and some movies. I think you'll really enjoy them. You stay on. We'll get those out to you, okay? Okay. All Thank right. You. Give you 
Well, blessings you. to you, and, and you keep reading your Bible and keep asking questions. That's why we're here. Let's go to Ron in Buell, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hi, Dave. How are you guys doing today? Good. How may we help? Well, I had a question on marriage and divorce, and I, I was looking at Matthew 19 and also 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16. Yes. And I was also asking, you know, I'm not old enough to know what it was like in the in before the no fault divorce came through that Mr. Reagan signed into California law. Well, we we understand a couple of things. Jesus talks about marriage uh, in the Gospels, uh, and understanding that what Jesus was describing was a Levitical marriage. That's what what. Uh, that was that when somebody talked about marriage, Jesus talked about it. That's if we go back to Leviticus and understanding what the uh, um, um, a Levitical marriage was, where the parents all agreed, uh, there was no deceit, fraud, or anything like that involved. This is what then caused uh, the family unit to remain. Now, today we have uh, people uh, getting married that don't even know who they're marrying. Uh, they get married, and then after they're married, oh, by the way, I'm wanted in three states. I'm a felon. They didn't tell them. Well, why didn't you tell me that before we got married? Well, I knew you wouldn't marry me if I told you the truth. So almost now the courtship is the great spoof, the great deception. And then once I really get married, I'll tell you about my kids that I have in other states, and I'm paying child support, all this kind of stuff. And I really believe that's fraud. And this is one of the great problems that we have. Now, when Jesus is addressing this in the gospel, he's not addressing a fraud situation. He's addressing where everything was done according to Scripture. Everything was done according, above board, above the table. There was no hidden things. And even then, there was room uh, for uncleanliness in a person after they're married. So, we understand that there are these things. Now, when we talk about um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this talks about marriage, of course, in the church today. And it talks about especially if there's a, uh, you know, there's two people, one becomes a believer, the other one uh, doesn't and doesn't want to live with them anymore. Then Paul says they're set free in such cases. Um, we understand that. And of course, never marry a person that is not a born-again Christian that has fruit in their life. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians today. Jesus said, by their fruit, you know them. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay, prove it by your work. That's what's so important. And so, Ron, I, I hope that that shares a little bit of light on it. We're all out of time. And I just want to say, stay in line. We'll send you out some books and DVDs. Dennis and the rest, please call us. We'll put you on first thing. Thanks, Jeff, for being on today. My pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. God bless you all. See you tomorrow. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station.